Join the conversation. Join the conversation. You're with Cape Talk. Van B with Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, Rebecca Davis. Good afternoon, John. I'm very glad you're back because the timing of your absence from radio is so suspicious. I was wondering if perhaps you had enlisted to fight for Ukraine. I tried, but um, quite... Uh, quite ego-bustingly, they decided I was not good enough to hold even a pillow bag to fight the Russians. I'm very sorry to hear that, but on a serious note, John, I don't know if you've seen these reports cropping up of men in Britain signing up to, at the Ukrainian embassy to fight without telling their wives and kids, just popping in on their lunch break, saying that they'll deal with the repercussions for their family later because, you know, there's nothing they like more than a jolly good scrap. <laughs> <laughs> but Abilid Lamini, it doesn't seem as if she's going to have a very good scrap with the perjury verdict guilty handed down yesterday. There's been no indication that she's going to appeal and do the normal ANC accused of or found guilty of strategy. Um, and I, I thought the sentencing arguments were quite interesting. The state saying this is somebody who lied in a court of law and while she was in a position where it was her duty to help the poorest of the poor in South Africa, so we need to send a message, and I recommend five years in prison, whereas her lawyer and all her friends, like the um, like the <laughs> Ace Machashule and Carl Niehaus and Tony Yengeni and all that bunch of people, uh, were saying that a suspended fine would be the way to go. What's your response to the Tlamini saga? So I'm quite interested in perjury as a crime because it seems to be prosecuted relatively seldom in South Africa. And I think one of the reasons for that is that there's a lot of plausible deniability. You can always just say, oh, I was saying what I thought was the truth at the time. So it's hard to get successful prosecutions, which they obviously have in this in this case. And it makes you wonder why they don't pursue these matters more. For instance, in the Zondo Commission, which also has the juristic status of a court of law, in one of the reports, Zondo openly wrote that he thought President Zuma had lied to him, for instance. So that's that's another thing. But it seems that perjury in South Africa mainly takes the form of false police reports. So if you waste police time by claiming that your phone was stolen and then it was an insurance ruse, then that is something that you are likely to face repercussions for. But I have yet to see or read about a case where someone found guilty of perjury was sent to jail. So I, I, my suspicion is that Batabilit Lamini may not be sent to jail just for that reason, if nothing else. But as you say, one of the arguments from the state is that this is not her first rodeo when it comes to trouble with the law, that she has a previous criminal conviction for fraud, which came out of the 2003 travel gate saga, which was at the time considered the biggest corruption scandal in post-apartheid South Africa. I mean, how innocent we were, considering the total amount at stake was about 18 million, which obviously was a lot at the time, but now seems positively a drop in the ocean. Anyway, I went back and looked at that scandal, John, and, you know, really quite something. I mean, there were just so many MPs involved in this fraudulent scheme, including DA MPs, but ultimately 14 ANC MPs convicted and fined after pleading guilty to theft and fraud. And one of the biggest volumes of fraud was from Clemini, who pleaded guilty to an amount of 254,000 rand. So the way the scam worked, you might recall, is that MPs were, were issued travel vouchers, which was supposed to be used for them to go see their constituents. 
but instead they were using them to go on holidays or they were selling them or they were giving them to their friends, etc. So blatant fraud, so widespread within parliament. And But Abila Zamini was one of the worst offenders, right? So she was given a fine. She was given a suspended five-year jail time. But I think what is most horrifying about that is that the ANC said at the time that it will institute disciplinary action against any of its members found guilty in the Travelgate scam. Now, most of the other ANC figures found guilty are not currently big names, so some of them are still around. But Badabile Lamini now holds the same position she held at the time, which is as the head of the ANC Women's League. So even if she escapes a jail term for perjury, yet again the question has to be asked, reform of the ANC for what, for whom, when somebody is now allowed a second serious offence of a fraud-related matter and still holds on to a position at the top of the ANC. Yeah, and um, poor thing, she only earns 110,000 rand a month, so please don't make the fine too high. Mm. Um, I've I've always had... uh, I've never been entirely clear on what my position is around cultural and sporting boycotts. I have a feeling that it contributed towards the end of apartheid in South Africa. I'm not sure by how much. Not being able to perform Stephen Burkhoff plays in South Africa probably did nothing to hasten the end of apartheid. Not being able Mm -hmm. to watch a Sylvester Stallone movie might have done. The fact that we weren't able to play rugby against the All Blacks probably played a small role. And I'm looking at what's happening with Russian sports people and Russian opera singers like uh, Natrepko and the the Russian composer and and so on. And again, I'm wondering, absolutely right okay in principle but in some cases it's going too far or what a ridiculous idea your thoughts yeah so i've divided this into kind of three categories one i think is sort of valid to do for instance with russian sports teams who are being prevented from contesting in certain competitions and certain sporting areas and it's been suggested that this actually probably will be one of the most effective forms of sanction against Russia because Putin himself is such a he prides himself on his kind of rugged masculinity you know his his topless horseback shoots and the rest of it and ordinary Russians are mad about sport as well so the idea that they will now no longer see their country folk you know getting those medals that Putin loves etc could actually really work there are Elements of the boycott that I already find beyond ridiculous. North Americans, for some reason, love to punish countries by renaming fast foods. Like this will really hit them in the gut. You might recall after the Gulf War when France was reluctant to cooperate in military terms, French fries were briefly renamed to Freedom Fries. Much the same thing is happening. The Canadian delicacy poutine, which is chips with cheese on it, basically, sort of in a gravy, is to be temporarily renamed because Putin, of course, is too similar to Putin, Vladimir Putin. So it'll be called fromage avec frites or something like that. Chicken Kiev also, the spelling of that in British supermarkets is to change. That is obviously absurd. And then there's the downright bad, in my opinion. There have been attacks on Russian Orthodox churches, for instance, in North America. And you mentioned a number of these artists, singers, composers who already live in the West, who are losing their jobs, being fired, or put under pressure to resign because they're not criticizing 
Putin because they're not criticizing Russia. Even if they criticize the war, even if they stay silent, that is not considered sufficient. You have to stand up and say, I hate Putin, I hate Russia, or else you will lose your job. This is problematic, John. I mean, for a start, why would you punish Russians who are already in the West? Those are the Russians who clearly have left the, the Russia for many, many good reasons, <laughs> many of which probably have to do with you know, freedom of expression for a start. And to to demand that they be held to some kind of a standard it seems insane to me, and it has it, it's unnerving to me also because it has it has echoes of McCarthyism, which is what happened in the states in the post war Cold War era, where anyone suspected of being a communist was you know sort of immediately ostracized, fired, etc. The news that Netflix has cancelled the Tolstoy adaptation because it's a Russian author. Dead Russian composers are not being played. This has gone... A university not- has stopped teaching a course on Solzhenitsyn's works, you know. It, it, so it, we, what we're clearly seeing here, and I, I hate to sound like a sort of American right-winger, but it is obviously valid, is the co- the, the synchronicity of war with cancel culture, right? So this is why this boycott is likely to go much, much further than any we've seen in the past. But I do think at some point questions have to be asked, not just about whether these actions will be successful in terms of bringing down the Russian regime or strength or weakening its, its position, but whether they are morally acceptable either, because there is something about it that strikes me as chilling. Please help me to find ways to produce more happy hormones in my brains. Certainly. I think we could all use this at the moment because things seem to be a bit fraught, wouldn't you agree, John? What just a little, war? just a little fraught. Yes. <laughs> Petrol, food, the rest of it. So the Guardian this week happily have summarized for us a not new book, 2017, Happens of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin and Endorphin Levels. Here, I'm going to give you the major highlights. Just bullet points that you can take away. Number one, short-term goals and treats. I'm delighted to have this confirmed because this is very much how I roll. I'm a carrot, not a stick person. Even if it is as small as at the end of this day when I finish my work, I will have a donut or I will watch X TV show. These are really important, apparently, in terms of increasing, boosting serotonin in your mind. Watching aesthetically pleasing movements. Astonishing has been found even to improve pain thresholds. So by that they mean perhaps you could watch a ballet, hopefully not one by a Russian choreographer, but you could also participate in ballet. Music and dance produce particularly long pleasure cycles, which is why sometimes you're able to dance. I'm sure you find this, John, when you're out salting or at a nightclub, you're able to dance for much longer than you thought you would be able to, even though you're tired. This bit is a real bummer, even though we all know it's true. Avoid high sugar and processed foods and go for a diverse, high-fiber, mostly plant-based diet, incorporating fermented products such as tofu and sauerkraut. Unfortunately, plenty of evidence that eating like that does result in less depression and anxiety. Lay off the sugar, lay off the process. Bring in the delicious sauerkraut. When we exercise moderately, we effectively are producing the same effect in our body as we would if we were to smoke a joint, make endocannabinoids. It's literally getting high on your own supply. The body's form of the active ingredient in marijuana. That's what happens when you exercise, even moderately. And finally, social laughter, John. So it's not good enough to be watching something in your dark room at home and to be chuckling in a hollow fashion to yourself. You have to laugh together. Shall we try it? George, switch on your (laughs) microphone. Switch on your microphone, Justine. Let's try it. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Rebecca, that was amazing.